Welcome to part two of our On Screen and Beyond interview with Jack Larson, who played Jimmy Olsen on The Adventures of Superman with George Reeves. Jack continues talking about his time on The Superman Show. Now, after all the episodes you did, um, in the final episode, it was called All That Glitters. Yeah. Um, you had a chance to be like Superman. You actually had a chance to fly, and you had superpowers and, and the whole works along with Lois. Um, now, how was that? After all that time, you finally got to uh, to be Superman. <laughs> well, my utter um, admiration for George went up many points <laughs> because uh, we had to, Nolan and I had to get in, in the due process. We had to fly, you know. Did they hang you from wires for that? Uh, no, we didn't. There was a thing that was a, they called the pan, the frying pan. It was uh, George always, it went under his costume. It was like a breastplate mm-hmm. uh, that supported your torso and then came out on the leg. Uh, it wouldn't be seen, but you could, they could move you around, you know? Yeah. And you couldn't see this pole. It was like a frying pan yeah. Yeah. with a handle. They could move you around in front of the process screen, which is if your audience will process screen. You projected clouds, you projected buildings from behind, and then you were photographed in front of it mm-hmm. with these things going. And it was uh, that's how they did special effects in those days. Yeah. And uh, and my admiration just went up for George because I can tell you to lie in this breastplate <laughs> with his pole coming out and and hold your arms out. And try to point your feet, which I've noticed when I saw that episode. I didn't do very well in my Oxford shoes. Uh, Point your feet back and look a bit graceful. It was absolutely exhausting, Hmm. you know, uh, uh, with hold your arms, you know, to do that. Hold your arms and legs out and cover the pole (laughs) and everything. And I thought, oh my God, how did George do this? So much. Yeah, but I uh, that was it was fun to do that. Yeah. Now, um, after the sixth season, um, well, before I ask you this question, I was just wondering, what was your favorite episode, or did you have a favorite episode? Yes, I do. W- which one my was my favorite that? episode? Is to my mind Jimmy's best comedy material, and I got to work with one of my favorite actors. Uh, from as I said, my favorite film is *The Maltese Falcon*, mm-hmm. and Elijah Cook Jr., who plays the uh, the fall guy in in *The Maltese Falcon*. Mm-hmm. He's the, uh, the 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 Gonzo, the 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 aide to the Fat Man, yeah. to Sydney Greenstreet, and they're going to have him as the fall guy. And uh, Cookie uh, was in uh, uh, the um, the episode whatever. What is it called? Uh, uh, it's where Jimmy gets to be a semi-private eye. Oh, okay. It's called semi-private eye, and they they go to hire a private eye who's played by Eliza Cook Jr. and uh, and, uh, and and Jimmy. Anyway, there, uh, Cookie and uh, and Lois Lane or, or Eliza Cook Jr. They're kidnapped by villains, while Jimmy is out of the room uh, from a. Um, in, in the detective's office uh, with a two-way mirror and he's looking and seeing all this stuff and he decides to save them 
and become a private eye. And I got to imitate or do my comic imitation of Humphrey Bogart. Yep, <laughs> I remember. In a trench coat. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and go around and work with very, very good actors in it. And, uh, and Jimmy does such things as handcuffs himself. He's hopeless. He handcuffs himself to a brass bed. I've seen it. If, you, if we had talked years ago, I wouldn't have seen or remembered the shows. I saw them, you know, originally yeah. and such. But since I've done, they've done DVDs. Oh, yes. And, yeah. you know, and you do commentary. So I've seen them. And it's just, a th- I'm very proud of that episode. And I think that Jimmy is just <laughs> funny as can be. Yeah. And, uh, and even has uh, pathos, and, uh, which is uh, uh, the thing that comics look for. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's my favorite episode. And to work with Cookie, and we became great friends, Elijah Cook Jr., who then, as it turned out, had created a part that I had later just done in, in uh, the stock, uh, uh, Eugenio's All Wilderness, which is a great play of Eugene O'Neill's. Uh, Cookie had done the boy Richard on Broadway, and when he told me that, uh, I, I seemed uh, taken aback, because I only knew him as a kind of villain, you know. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, he's in Marilyn Monroe's film, Don't Bother to Knock. He plays one of the leads in that early film of Monroe. Uh, but anyway, uh, he then brought me the um, uh, his copy of Our Wilderness, uh, or the published copy, which was, of course, signed and dedicated to him by Eugene O'Neill. And I'll never forget it. It said to, uh, to uh, Elijah Cook, Jr., who brought my youth to life for me on the stage. Mm-hmm. And it was a thrill to work with him. It was it was wonderful to work with all the people that I got to work with. Yeah, and and, and you you had so many. I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, I mean, listening to your voice. I mean, you know, you still sound like Jimmy Olsen back then. <laughs> I mean, well, there we are. But uh, um, some of the ones that come to mind while you're talking is, is like there, there was one where you portrayed. Uh, a, uh, I think you were a prince or, or a king of, of some nation in, in one yes. of the episodes. Yeah, and, he fills in for a prince. Yes, and then there was one where you played, your, you know, Jimmy Olsen, and you also played a gangster that looked just like like Jimmy Olsen. That was the biggest compliment I've ever had. Really? Yeah, that people thought they got, they didn't, yeah, um, People have said to me many times, where did they get that guy, the gangster, in the, who looks just like you? <laughs> <laughs> it was me, of course. I mean, I could act, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know. People lose sight of that. Right, yeah. I studied hard. I'd worked very hard. I did many other things besides Superman. Uh, they're often forgotten, although everything is being discovered now. But actually, that particular episode, uh, I don't know what it's called, where Jimmy is the gangster, it was very complicated because you're playing Jimmy as the gangster, you're playing the gangster as Jimmy, and then you're playing the gangster and you're playing Jimmy. <laughs> it was very complicated to work I'm that sure. out, and I worked very hard on it. Yeah, you did a good job. And yes, I agree. I know I did. I've seen it. Yeah. And 
But when they were going to do the film, when the film was being made, Hollywoodland, mm -hmm. about George Reeves, yeah. in which we're and somebody portrays me mm -hmm. um, uh, in it, and and uh, um, and the, they wanted um, to um, talk to me about about George. Uh, well, this is horrible. I'm going to Diane Lane played the Tony Mannix. And tell me, who played George? Ben Affleck. Ben, yes. Ben, well, that's why, I don't know how, just, just briefly, because uh, we actually became friends. They, uh, they wanted to come talk to me to do research on George and Tony Mannix. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I wanted to read the script first. I didn't want to be part of anything without being sure that, uh, that, that I felt that it was not... Uh, uh, you know, good for George and Tony and, uh, and et cetera. Yeah. And so finally I said, okay. So we spent the day, and when I first met the, uh, they came to my house, and, and when Ben came here first, that was the thing. He'd been running all the shows, and that was the show he, he complimented me on. He said, you know, that, that was just, uh, he was just, uh, what can I say? All admiration for that performance. Mm -hmm. I won't go on. He was very, very, very uh, complimentary yeah. uh, about that particular uh, episode, mm. about playing all of that. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't easy, and, uh, and I'm proud of it. Uh, no. I guess if you can be, if you can say these things about the deep past. Yeah. <laughs> Another episode. Ben, and I thought he and I thought he was wonderful as George, and uh, and, and and Diane was uh, gave her all the, another beautiful performance as Tony, mm -hmm. and they meant a great deal to me, George and Tony, and I didn't want to see them defamed right, or yeah. played poorly. Yeah, and it's a very good film, I feel. Yeah, I, I'm going to ask you a question. I had another one about another episode, but I, I wanted to get into well, that. Ask me whatever you want to ask. Yeah, uh, about Hollywood Land. How did it feel um, seeing an actor play you? <laughs> well, he didn't have that big a part. Right, but I mean, still, you know, I mean, he, you know, usually you see people playing other people when they've passed away. <laughs> I, I thought he was. I thought he was good. Yeah, I thought he was good. I thought he, I thought he was good, and I was. And having actually, uh, I uh, they shot it in in a lot of those sequences in Toronto, I guess. And Diane, we became friendly, very friendly, and uh, Ben also. And Diane sent me a photograph of her with him, mm -hmm. the young man playing me. Yeah, I'm gonna forget his name, but I know I thought he was good. Yeah. And, uh, it just must have felt strange with seeing somebody playing you. <laughs> yes, it was. It, everything is strange. I'm used to that. <laughs> everything seems strange to me <laughs> in life now. <laughs> but, so I've not taken aback by anything. <laughs> now, now, one other episode I wanted to bring up was, um, of course, when I started seeing these shows, they were probably they weren't the originals. They must have been reruns. You know, by the time I was that age yeah. that I could watch them. Um, but there was one episode that I that remains in my mind, and it scared me to death. <laughs> and it was the one where you were on an island, or, or, or a, 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 maybe it yes. was a, a haunted 
mansion or the something. Haunted lighthouse. The lighthouse, yes, and and you that that voice of the, the, the parrot uh, yeah. saying help or whatever. It was. Yeah. <laughs> that was one that stuck in my mind only because it, it struck fear into me. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the, that was shot in 1951. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first 26 episodes, and, and yeah, it's a very good episode. It was memorable to me because they tried to drown me. It was the beginning of many of episodes where the writers and and, and producers decided to drown Jimmy, get Jimmy wet, <laughs> and uh, and that one it was because once you're wet, you stay wet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the sound stages are not heated, and you always catch a cold and oh, get chilled and stuff. But I remember it vividly, and uh, and you drown and thrash around in this water, which you can imagine isn't particularly clean. So it was it was good. Very appetizing, but you give your all. <laughs> but so you wanted to stay on the good side of the writers, I suppose, right? Because oh. <laughs> otherwise they'd say, "Well, let's see, what can we do to Jimmy today?" <laughs> Exactly so. <laughs> exactly. Well, they thought of, but they were. It was very, it was very, very um, popular to <laughs> to get Jimmy wet uh, for some reason. Uh. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Now, after the uh, the sixth season, now supposedly, am I correct? George Reeves was supposed to uh, direct the seventh season, and and of course, he's going to direct some of it. Yeah. Oh, some of it. Yeah. Um, now, was that something he wanted, or did they try to entice him with that? And no, he wanted it, and he did. Uh, he directed uh, two or three shows in the um, the what what turned out to be the final season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he directed the one with the burrow, and he directed uh, the Perils of Superman, uh-huh. yeah. which was our, you know, it was like Perils of Pauline. Yeah. And uh, no, he wanted to do that, wanted to direct, and uh, and then he, uh, I knew was going to direct a number of the shows uh, when we came back, and I last saw George because I, uh, uh, nobody, when you became popular on television, it was different than. Than now, where if you're popular, you get uh, the movie studios uh, give you a shot at doing a big film. They see, well, will it cross over? Mm-hmm. You know, like Michael J. Fox and, right. and such. And, and sometimes it doesn't. Basically, it doesn't. Uh, people that become hot on television. But at that time, you became famous on television. You weren't welcome to work in in what they called their fine motion pictures. Uh. And uh, you were crossed over to the enemy. That Uh-oh. was the idea of the movie series at the time. And a couple of times that they attempted to work with television stars like Milton Berle, they flopped. Liberace flopped. These films didn't work that yeah. they gave them in. So you didn't work in films, and you they didn't want you in, in, in films if you were popular on television. And... Um, the only work was to do live television, which I did a lot of, mm-hmm. and, uh, and early on George had done some, 
uh, and uh, and then uh, foreign countries. And I went off uh, in uh, '59. I yeah uh, to do. Uh, well, I don't remember. I, I don't keep a diary. I don't. I won't be good at the dates. Right. But I went off to do a film in Germany, mm -hmm. uh, in Munich, at Bavaria Film Kunst. I was offered to do a film, and I went off to do that, and uh, and I said goodbye to everybody, George, and and I went by the office because I knew we were going to do a um, another season, yeah. another twenty six shows, mm -hmm. and I went off and I worked and then I wandered around uh, Europe. Hmm. Now, and then George died while I was in Europe. Yeah. Now, could you see anything happening to George? Was he? Did he seem, you know, depressed on the on the set or anything? Or well, he wasn't. No, you know, the actors at that time when you were colleagues, you you didn't bring your problems to the set mm -hmm. yeah. at all. Or there were, there were different things. It was like when I said about John uh, Hamilton. You didn't discuss salaries. You didn't discuss things. You didn't. You really didn't complain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, about things. It was the noblesse oblige mm. time with actors, and uh, I knew that George wasn't happy because of uh, uh, he was so typed. Yeah. Like Superman. I was typed doing Jimmy Olsen. Right. Yeah. And I couldn't turn it into anything that I was willing to turn it into. Let me put it that way. Right. Yeah. Uh, I. I just, uh, and I, so uh, I was certainly uh, dumbfounded by what had happened to me, mm -hmm. that I became Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because you, 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 you do such a good job showing that you're a good actor yeah. playing this part, yet they don't want to take you on because you are so good at it. Well, yeah, you just completely identified with the part. Yeah, that, that's I mean, a I shame. I had a number of very bad experiences about it with producers and, and things where there was, I was up for something and then they decided they couldn't have me in the film because it would just be Jimmy Olsen come, you know. Yeah. Walking. Hmm. That was at Fox, which was always kind to me. The only places that I worked really was uh, uh, Warner Brothers was always good to me. Yeah. I would, you know, pick up a job there I said, and I did that. That was in '56. I did, uh, got co-starred actually in the last film of Ethel Barrymore mm -hmm. called Johnny Trouble and such. And, but that was due to Warner Brothers, who had some feelings for me, uh. and um, and who then later owned the Superman show because National Comics DC that produced the '51 show and always produced them with Kellogg's money. Then in succeeding years. They bought Warner Brothers Studios, hmm. and they're they are a division of Warner Brothers, and that's why Warner Brothers owns all the all the uh, the DC national uh, uh, characters, yep. Batman and Warner, because they bought the studio. Hmm. But anyway, they were. Uh, um, I knew George was. Uh, I knew he was frustrated, and he wanted to direct, and I knew it wasn't. Uh, it's a depressing situation to be in. Yeah. So, I, I mean, he wasn't telling me, uh, uh, you know, his problems, but I knew he had them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I did deeply. I mean, I knew he had them. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then he had personal problems, I knew. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
it's such so a shame. I, I, pardon? It's such a shame that. Yes, it was. Yeah. And uh, so when I, when it happened, and you know, I was out of touch with everybody uh, in Europe. I had friends. This was uh, uh, this was the first big year of uh, San Tropez, Bridget Bardot, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I had friends who took a house, Roland Petit and Zizi Jean Mer, in San Tropez, and they asked me to come be with them in San Tropez, and I was thrown in. I, yes, Bridget Bardot. Wow. <laughs> and her German boyfriend. And, uh, and uh, you know, wonderful doings on the beach. And uh, Booyah Bays cooked right on the beach on wooden mm-hmm. fires and big pots. It was wonderful. So I wasn't thinking about Hollywood. Right. <laughs> and I wasn't thinking about <laughs> the next season of Superman. And I was completely out of touch and enjoying myself. And it. Uh, had bought a Volkswagen. I was wandering around, and my next stop was going to be where anybody could get in touch with me was uh, Rome. And uh, that was a mailing address, the American Express, Piazza Espana. And and uh, and when I got there, then there there was all of this uh, to get my mail and and, uh, news and such in Rome. There was this... uh, all these uh, articles and things about George, I didn't know it. Oh, so you you weren't even around? You were... No, I was No, I was in Europe. Uh-huh. And I didn't, and I didn't know. Oh. Must have been difficult to hear it that way, huh? Uh, actually, it was, and it's very peculiar as we're talking. I have a great friend who was later head of design at Steuben, but who lived in Rome at the time, and, um, and his name is Bernie Wolf. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, and he was living in Rome, and I was going to uh, meet him and other friends uh, uh, in Rome. And I just got a card from him and an article. There was an article uh, he sent me out of like his Newsday that it was uh, on the 16th of June. It was 50 years since George had died. Mm-hmm. I had the tragedy. Yeah. And uh, and they sent me this article with a picture of George. Bernie did say, TV Superman kills self, buried the tabloid headlines 50 years ago this week mm-hmm. after actor George Reeves. And it's a long article. Bernie lives back in uh, uh, New York and in, in, uh, Long Island. And uh, and he sent me a card along with this thing. We've remained friends all these years. And he sent me the card which is, Dear Jack, time really does fly. It seems impossible. It was 50 years ago. We met on the Spanish steps to share the sad news of Reeves' death. Mm-hmm. And it goes on. Jeez. And he says, uh, anyway, but we are still here. <laughs> and I thank God for that. <laughs> now, do you, do you ever regret playing that you would play Jimmy Olsen? No. No? No, I didn't regret it from the beginning. Yeah. Because it was just such a wonderful experience. And I really got to fulfill my ambitions. I think I did. Uh, it was my part. Yeah. I realized. Oh, yeah. You you are uh, Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> yeah, it was my part. And yeah. I didn't know it at the time. And I was very upset when I got, you know, when I realized I was typed and I was very upset. Yeah, I, and I can understand that. The whole thing. And I... And I and I never uh, ever uh, took advantage uh, 
will save the population. I wouldn't do right away. I thought anything I do in publicity is a nail in my coffin as an actor. Yeah. So I upset the Kellogg's and the advertising agency because the, uh, the you know the audience. It was a uh, although it was on at nighttime. It was on at 7:30. This was not a children's show originally. Mm-hmm. And uh, for for a children's audience, but. But I wouldn't do publicity. I wouldn't pose for pictures. I wouldn't. I was very. I, I would show up. I would do the best job I could, uh, working and enjoyed it. But I didn't want any added publicity because I thought it was just all was going to be a disaster for me as an actor. Yeah. Uh, not as a, a celebrity or something. But, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that word even existed. Now, you know, everybody's a celebrity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, after the show was was done, um, now of course, like you said, you, you you didn't work very much because it was hard to get work. But you did do an episode of Gomer Pyle, right? I did, I did. I was I I uh, I quit acting. Uh, before that, I just thought this is too much. I'm not going to do that. I devoted myself to writing, what I do, and I had plays being done. I write and I in a specific form, one could embarrassingly call it a verse form. I'm interested in, in, in that, uh, not in normal prose. And uh, I, uh, I got offered uh, to do a Gomer Pyle while uh, I was doing a play in Los Angeles. I had quit acting, and a friend of mine was directing the Anta production, a very fine production, of George Bernard Shaw's Androcles and the Lion, and I was his dream Androcles. Hmm. He wanted me to play Androcles, and actually it's a good part for me. Yeah. It was a really, and he just wouldn't take no for an answer. As an actor who had quit acting, John Carr, who'd been in Tea and Sympathy and uh, South Pacific, and uh, he wasn't acting, and he was directing, and he wanted me to do this, and we were very great friends from New York. And I finally uh, gave in to him, and I did it. I was glad I did it, and uh, we got very uh, a lot of uh, attention in Los Angeles, and and I was doing it for equity minimum. That's why you do you're on the stage. You know, they don't pay you much money, uh-huh. and uh, so I was doing that. And while we were we were performing here, I got offered to do this Gomer Pyle for a you know, considerable amount of you know for a good. Uh, salary yeah. and one episode and I thought well why not <laughs> I'm on the stage at night for equity minimum I may have during the day earned some money yeah. so I'm... I did that but there was a misunderstanding uh, with it they thought that I was going to be that character uh, was going to be a running character and it's why the billing is apparently uh, uh, he, I get uh, major billing in it because uh, I've been told this I haven't re- but uh, somebody's questioned me about it and why this and why I didn't do more because I didn't want to do another television series uh, yeah. and so I didn't do that but I did do that one episode yes hmm. I'm going to have to look look through uh, and see which episode it is and see if I have it in my DVD collection <laughs> I don't know I can't yeah. tell you I can't tell you it was a good episode and uh and they wanted me to go, and they were having, they were losing an actor, and they wanted uh, 
me to do this, but I didn't understand that, and they contacted a former agent of mine, and it made some difficult feeling about it, but I just didn't want to do a uh, another television series. Yeah, I see your character's name was Tommy in that episode. That's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at my little cheat notes here. <laughs> yeah, well, there we are. And, so, uh, now, it, the other thing... Um, after that, uh, like you said, you did writing and, and you were doing things with operas, correct? Yes, I, I was always, my, my, my way of writing in, in verse forms, I had a, quite a success with a play called Chuck. It's a, it's a one act and was on off-Broadway and, had, and, and it's in a very novel verse form, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I won't describe it and bore your, <laughs> your audience <laughs> what the form was, but it had enough interest that the New York Times printed the play. Walter Kerr, who was the critic of the New York Times, what was done in New York, uh, went on about it, and they printed the entire play in the Sunday New York Times at that time, and it's in two major uh, college texts. Uh, one uh, Macmillan's and uh, one called Grooving the Image, and it, it was a it was an innovative an innovative form of theater verse hmm. that will have to do, <laughs> and and I always my work attracted composers, and I had done a work with uh, composer Ned Roram, who is uh, Time Magazine calls him the foremost composer of uh, art songs mm-hmm. and we had done some and we have a recording called More Than the Day put out by uh, uh, it's an entire text of mine uh, put out by uh, RCA and uh, and I had worked with some of the major composers in song cycles David Diamond and, uh, and Gerhard Samuel Mm-hmm. And, uh, with uh, Paul Chihara and such, and but before that, uh, and you get these performances in concert halls and things, and uh, and I was asked by Virgil Thompson, who'd been looking for a librettist. He had done two operas. He was one of America's two greatest composers, most renowned at that time, Aaron Copland and Virgil. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he'd done these two operas with Gertrude Stein. Mother of Us All and Four Saints and Three Acts, and she had passed away in 1947, and he was looking for a very precise kind of librettist, and uh, I was mentored by playwriting by John Hausman, who yeah. was a producer and then became an actor, yeah. and uh, John had directed Four Saints and Three Acts originally, or co-directed it in, the, in New York, and uh, and Virgil came to me, would I do an opera, libretto for him? And we had to settle on a subject, and I wanted to. I was a great admirer of Gertrude Stein and of, of, of Virgil's music, who won the Pulitzer Prize for a wonderful work uh, called The Plow That Broke the Plains. And uh, and so I uh, I did that, and that was commissioned by the Metropolitan Opera. Wow. And then was later done at Lincoln Center with... Uh, it took many years' work. It was not easy working out this, but it's called Lord Byron, and that has been recorded and, and, uh, and uh, gotten a lot of attention. 
in the past, mm -hmm. and there's always talk about doing it again. It's been done several times. And once again, I'd like it centered on concert version. Wow. It's a very elaborate opera. You, in contemporary operas, you, you don't often get second or third performances very quickly. Uh-huh, yeah. And I've written another opera, which, uh, <coughs> with uh, Charles Fussell, uh, it's called uh, uh, The Astronaut's Tale, and mm -hmm. that premiered in Boston a few years back and has been recorded and uh, uh, performed many times on uh, public radio. Huh. And uh, The Astronaut's Tale, and I got pressed in the service, I, I don't uh, push myself as a performer in these <laughs> things, but when I arrived uh, for the rehearsals, they had not... Uh, successfully uh, done the narrator, and so I got pressed into service uh, to narrate it uh, for the premiere in Boston, and then we recorded it in uh, New Hampshire uh, at a beautiful uh, town hall there, and, and, uh, and I, I did that, so I'm on that recording huh. as the narrator of the astronaut's tale wow. and the librettist, huh. and, uh, which was a bit more credit than I had intended. <laughs> but anyway, that was, uh, so I've done all these things, and I've done a lot of work with uh, composers and, and other plays. That uh, I had a play that began in Los Angeles <coughs> and uh, with uh, John Ritter uh, as the, it's about young Americans in London, and that went to London uh, with the uh, two of the actors, the one is uh, it's uh, John Ritter and, and uh, Jack Bender uh, play the young men, and and John uh, when we played in London in a small theater, the Janetta Cochran for a week, uh, uh, and then a limited week, and then we went on to the Edinburgh Festival, and uh, John particularly had a great success in that play, which is also in rhymed verse and uh, got an agent, uh, so I'm in London, and he came back to a great, great career here, and long-time friendship, and Jack Bender, who played the other young man, is one of the producers of Lost. Wow. He quit acting, and he produces, and has been nominated for uh, uh, the Emmy. Uh -huh. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And you mentioned producing. You know, you did a lot of producing too in the what yeah. the '80s, and uh, like just to name a few of them, you got uh, the Bright Lights, Big City with Michael J. Fox, and Perfect with John Travolta. Yeah, uh, and you you produced some pretty big names there. Yeah, well, I had the director who became he became director directing plays of mine, James Bridges, mm -hmm. and he directed. Uh, a number of things at the Mark Tate Forum in downtown Los Angeles, and then directed this play to Cherry, uh, then went to London and Edinburgh, and uh, and he was also a screenwriter, 
and wanted to direct films. And he had such a success with this play in Leiden and Edinburgh that he uh, got to direct his first film, which is called The Baby Maker, with uh, with uh, Barbara Hershey, ah, yes. by Robert Wise. Yeah. He left Edinburgh to come back to direct this film, and uh, he had written uh, a great deal for Alfred Hitchcock, the Alfred Hitchcock Hour shows, mm -hmm. besides directing kind of off-Broadway theater yeah. and, uh, and downtown Los Angeles. And so he became a very successful director. When he formed his company, uh, he asked me to become a part of the company, which I did, and then... Uh, he always had a very antagonistic situation with producers, not with Bob Wise, but with, uh, uh, I won't name them, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but he, uh, he asked me if, if I would, and I was functioning, I was vice president of the company, and so I produced, I came in and produced uh, a number of the films, yes. Yeah, a lot I of big, did. big names. And, uh, yeah. and uh, worked on uh, others as executive uh, uh, The Paper Chase and uh, Urban Cowboy. Wow. And, uh, and then, of course, by the time we did uh, Bright Lights and then Perfect, and, uh, and Bright Lights was was wonderful work with, with Michael, yeah. who did become a movie star from doing a television series. Right, yeah, and, that, and like As you said. did John. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of, a, it was an interesting experience for me because uh, they were no more popular than I had been on television, you mm -hmm. know. And I thought, well, there before the, the grace of God could have gone I, you know. Yeah. I could have, you know, segued into films and done comedy. But I think and, it was tougher back when you were doing it because of the fact, like you said, you know, filmmakers considered TV people as different. <laughs> you know. As low, as, as lower types. Right, yeah. You weren't, you, you weren't glad. They were getting you free. Right. Yeah. The idea was that the, 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 their experience was if if they see you free, they won't pay to see you. Right. <laughs> and as Betty Davis once said, they asked her if she was poo pooing who were stars, you know. Yeah. And uh, it could go on and on and on, but she was poo pooing these people that were stars. She was on some program, maybe Dick Cavett or something. It was some time ago, and uh, but I watched it. And so he finally said, well, what do, you, what, what do you consider a star? And Betty said, a star is someone that the audience pays to see. <laughs> that's what a star is. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's still true. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and the studios, the major studio situation, developed this idea that if you were, they were seeing you free on, on Monday night, they weren't going to pay to see you on Friday. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Geez. That was the idea. It turned out to be uh, basically not true. Right. But if you look at the people that made successful careers, they're few and far between. Yeah. Clint Eastwood. I mean, basically, uh, and, and my heart goes out to them, but these, these young people that have a big success on television, mm -hmm. and then they, they always now uh, invariably get a big film they get a shot at a big film yeah and it basically it doesn't work yeah yeah and uh, and then you don't hear of them yeah yeah well jack i want to i want to slip in another email here that somebody asked a question and try to get another one in here um kevin from montana wrote in 
and he says, you had guest roles on a 1991 episode of Superboy, 1996 on Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, and the 2006 Superman Returns movie. Did you ever... Uh, did they ever approach you for any of the Christopher Reeve movies? Uh, to answer that, yes. I was approached about doing the first one. Oh, they did? Not as Jimmy, but as a guest. And Noel did that. And I was invited to... I knew that they were, they were trying to... Um, um, the, the agent for the... I guess he was the agent for the director, who did a wonderful job... Richard Donner, I didn't know him at the time, mm -hmm. but there was a dinner. The agent uh, was giving this dinner uh, and uh, for Donner and who wanted to meet me, and I knew that they'd approached Noel about doing a cameo in it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I realized that when you're contacted by an agent, when you come to dinner, that this is business. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, and I got dressed to go, to tell you the truth, and then I decided I didn't want to do it. Ah. Uh, and I didn't want to say no, and I didn't want to do it, and it was for the wrong, I, I should have. I mean, I was often wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> I don't know what they intended, what cameo they intended, or whatever. It's a very good film, and Christopher was wonderful in it, and Mark was, uh, I thought it was, very very good as, as Jimmy yeah and such but I I just uh, uh, there was a, a problem occurred at the house uh, where I am it sprung a leak a, a plumbing leak yes yeah. thing and so I used that as an excuse it was in the basement there was a leak and I just decided I said I just couldn't come I had a problem and I didn't but I didn't want to be uh, I just didn't want to do it and I and at that point, uh, there was a lot of, uh, well, I don't know how this sounds, but I knew they had offered Marlon Brando $1 million to play the father yeah. in it. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they weren't offering Noel much money to do it. Yeah. And, and I didn't know... Uh, what the situation was, uh, what kind of billing, what kind of attention. I presume they wanted us in it at that point to get a little bit of publicity. Right, yeah. You know, to say we were in it to use it. And, and I just felt that whatever they were going to offer, it wasn't commensurate to what one could bring to it after you'd been doing it all those years and been popular. Right, oh yeah. And I just didn't feel that it was what Ethel Barrymore would call seemly <laughs> <laughs> at, at that point. And so I didn't go to the and uh, do it, and there wasn't an absolutely upfront offer, but I knew they were up to that. Yeah, oh yeah. And yeah. I didn't want to, and I didn't want to Later, uh, I got to know Richard Donner. He's a wonderful guy, and... Uh, I uh, was talking about not that, but uh, but that was. Uh, but then later, I just uh, they asked me to do these things, and and uh, and of course I did them. Mm -hmm. You know, in the Superman thing, right? Course, yeah. Uh, I just I just felt I you know why not? 
Right, yeah, and it's always, you know, the, the, the audience loves to see you, you know, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it's always nice to say, oh, look, there's Jimmy, there's the real Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first one I did with that was uh, uh, Gerard Christopher was playing Superboy. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and I didn't want, at first I didn't want to do it, I'd never done anything like that at that point, and then he asked me to have lunch with him. And uh, he came here. They were shooting at, uh, I don't know where they were shooting at because I did it there. It was on a, it was on a distant location somewhere. And, uh, and so and it, he just, he, he was very convincing. And why didn't I do it? And we had lunch here in Brentwood where I live and uh, in a restaurant down on San Vicente. And, uh, and so I did it. And I was very glad I did it. And Noel did it. Yeah. And, well, Florida, Orlando, Florida. They were shooting it in Orlando. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. And, That's uh, where the studios and were. Then, uh, and then and then they wanted me to do it. By the time they wanted me to do the Lois and Clark, I was happy to do that. And But at that point, that was very clearly uh, the show was... Uh, they'd been after me to do that show from the beginning. Uh, yeah. Lois and Clark. But every time they... They, uh, I, I talked to the woman at the, who early on was producing it, and um, and they'd send a script saying, would I do this? And it was always an alien. And I finally uh, said back to them, I said, I don't do aliens. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do Boy Next Doors and, uh, and Cub Reporters. But, but even though I've grown older, I don't do aliens. <laughs> so write a part that makes sense, and I'll do it. Yeah. And so at, at a certain point, they were having rating problems. The years went on, and they wrote this part that made sense. Yeah. Uh, and I did it, and by that point, I knew that uh, they wanted to pick up their ratings with me guesting in it. And they did, and, and indeed we got tremendous amount of publicity, and you know, TV Guide, and and uh, everything that you could imagine. They did, the, you know, publicity that was guesting in this show was mm. as as, uh, as Jimmy, yeah. older Jimmy, yeah, yeah, <laughs> much older Jimmy, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so uh, that w- but that was all very appropriate. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, and then. Um, Brian Singer wanted me to do the, uh, uh, who I admire him very much, who was directing Superman Returns. And I wasn't sure I wanted to do that either, because it meant going to Australia. Wow. And I don't lightly fly 14 hours, yeah. let me put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> Jeez. to do something. Hmm. And uh, so anyway, that was uh, but that was a very good experience, and it was a very good film. And once again, uh, uh, Noel and I, uh, they used us, Warner's used us. We got more publicity than uh, Brandon, who is their new Superman. Right, yeah. I mean, it was just, it was just, and I did everything. I always, I'm, I'm a sport. <laughs> <laughs> I did all the publicity they wanted, but I mean, it was major stuff. You yeah. Know, you know, major New York Times and everything, and, and we did it all, and, and, uh, and they brought out, uh, very handsomely, brought out our shows 
on DVD. Yes, yes. I'm glad they finally did that, too, because it was yeah. nice to see the shows again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, so there we are. Life goes on. Yeah. Got one more question for you, Jack. Yes. Um, uh, did you ever think, back when you were doing Superman, that all these years later, 50-some-odd years later, that, you know, you would people would still be talking about this show that, you know, that affected them so much? No, I didn't think that. I think so. I'm very grateful for it. And as I said, uh, I felt I was doing something that was commensurate, was pioneer work. In 50, when I said we were at the Al, Al, Hal Roach studio, mm-hmm. where Lauren and Hardy and, and uh, Harold Lloyd and everybody had worked. All the classics, uh, yeah. I felt, because we were one of the first shows shot, one camera show, I felt we were pioneers. And I had, I had a feeling, a hope, that it would be remembered, but as pioneers, you know. Yeah. But I didn't know what would happen I had no idea what what has happened to my uh, view is that like Superman we did with television you know we were television before mm-hmm. that there were uh, they, they, there was a radio show there were and then there was the Christopher Reeve film which was a very glamorous film mm-hmm. and uh, and then uh, there's Superman Returns and what I've discovered is that in the mind of the great audience, because they see these things only now on, you know, their major television screens, their, uh, uh, you know, however they do them, it's all lumped into the same thing. There's no, there's no saying, oh, well, that's, that was television, that was, uh, that, that was a big movie. They're all Superman. Right, yeah. It's just all the same thing. And that I didn't envision. Uh-huh. And I'm very grateful for that we're not looked down on. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> As, uh, we're just there with, uh, they don't, you know, the audience doesn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, doesn't uh, differentiate uh, the glamour of the huge uh, uh, screen yeah. from the, the screen they're watching uh, uh, all the other Superman, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Uh, productions on. Yeah, you're just you're just part of the same package. Yep, yep, that's true. Yeah, and uh, and that is uh, well, everything is uh, everything turns up now. I'm just amazed. <laughs> oh yeah, and, uh, you know, films that one did that one thought were forgotten because you thought they weren't very good, then suddenly there's a film that Leonard Nimoy and I did in 19 before I did Superman 1951, I guess. Called Kid Monk Baroni had a yes. very good script. Yeah, uh, about a prize fight, a kid, an ugly, a gang kind of guy, and his best friend, and he becomes a major prize fighter. It was written by a major writer, uh, Abraham Candell, who wrote Cagney films, mm-hmm. Conquest, and things like that at Warner Brothers, and had a very good director, Harold Chusa. But it was a B film. Yeah, and it was it showed downtown, uh, and I saw it. When it opened, I never thought about it. And suddenly, it was produced by a B-film producer, Jack Broder. And suddenly, I hear about a uh, year and a half ago, I hear from Cinematheque. Uh, and they're having a big screening of it at the uh, uh, Egyptian Theater. Mm-hmm. 
and it's going to be sold out, it appears, a lot of excitement, if, because Leonard Nimoy uh, had agreed to come, uh, and yeah. would I come, and uh, and they were going to have a big thing of this. It was, a, it was considered a, a great cult B film, and the best film that Jack Broder had produced, and... Uh, and so this, and then the, and that's out on TV. Then Lenny and I said, "Yes, yeah, sure, we'll do commentary." Mm-hmm. And we did, but it was an actual occasion. Yeah. And it's happened again and again that films that you uh, thought had disappeared, they were, you know, in that great wastebasket <laughs> <laughs> in the sky. Uh, that uh, they just turn up yeah. now, and people see them and admire them, and and uh, and you hear about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's uh, it's uh, it's very nice. Yeah. yeah. If you were okay, if you didn't disgrace yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jack, I, I want to thank you so much because I mean this has been fascinating. Listen to all your stories and everything, and I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to talk with us and Good, share those things. Well, I hope uh, we answered the emails uh, that you got, and uh, thank you very much. And, Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jack Larson, Jimmy Olsen of The Adventures of Superman. He was such a great guest, and we want to thank him for taking the time to talk to us for so long. And and it's, uh, you know, one thing we do here at On Screen Beyond, we do not cut people off. We don't want to try to make limits on them. If they can give us that time, we will take it, because I'm sure those of you that like those interviews and want to hear these people talk, you don't want to hear just 10 minutes and we cut them off and say, oh, it's got to go, sorry. But uh, it's uh, it's just fascinating to hear him talk about those shows, uh, those movies, and everything he was on. And it's a lot of fun hearing from these people. So we hope you enjoyed it. If you did, send me an email and let us know. You can send it to feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And if you have a suggestion on somebody you would like to hear, uh, have us do an interview on, uh, send it to us, and we'll try our best to, to uh, see what we can do. We've uh, working on one, uh, in particular one, somebody that uh, sent us a, a request, and it's, it deals with a new DVD and a new movie that's coming out in September, and we're really, really working hard to get the, we've made the connection, and now it's just a matter of time to nail down when we can uh, connect with that person. So I'm hoping that we get that one and we'll be bringing you that in the future. So if you have any suggestions, like I say, send them because we really want to hear them and we want to try to get those these people that you want to hear. Uh, we'll do our best. It could be somebody from an old favorite show or somebody from a new show or a new movie that's out. Um, you know, we're, we're always trying to do different things. So uh, send it to us. Uh, it's, it's just a, you know, a suggestion, and we'll try our best to see what we can do, and we'll continue to try to get the people you want to hear. Uh, like, like I say, that's all we can do. We can try, uh, but uh, we want your help because we want you to tell us who you'd like to hear from. So anyways, that's about it for episode 66 of On Screen and Beyond. And coming up in our next episode, like I told you, we do we are a weekly show. But of course, every once in a while, we're going to pop one in there uh, during the end of the of a week to uh, uh, sometimes we have to get them out because uh, people have uh, things going on and we want to get those out for them. 
And uh, this month in August, we will be having a couple of those, a couple that we'll be throwing extra interviews um, and shows on. So uh, keep your eye out on the website, onscreenandbeyond.com. Keep checking with us, and you can uh, see when those come up, because uh, there will be some this month. Uh, that I promise you. So we're going to have more than just the weekly show for the next month or so. And a lot of great interviews coming. Uh, some very interesting people. I think you're going to be surprised with who we're going to be connecting with. And uh, let's see. What else do we got here? That's about it, I guess. Um, if you have suggestions, like I said, send them in. And uh, check out the website because if you have, uh, if we have somebody coming up that we know, we will pop up a little indication on the uh, website right on the front page to let you know who is coming up. And if you have a question for that person, you can send it to us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com and you get to ask the question. We will ask your question in the email that you send us. If you have something you'd like to ask that person, just like uh, the other day I had one up that um, Alex Cord. We were going to be doing an interview with him. So uh, we got some of the emails from some of you. We'll be asking those of Alex uh, very shortly, and that interview will be coming up uh, shortly here. And uh, Alex, of course, was on Airwolf and a lot of other things. So anyways, that's uh, just an example. And uh, keep checking the website because you can find out who's coming. And pass it on to your friends. Let your friends know that uh, On Screen and Beyond is here. And uh, you know, let them know that uh, they, we've got all these interviews and a lot of people have been checking out the website. And we really appreciate that all over the world. And um, I guess that's it. Episode 66 is gone. We are heading to episode 67 very shortly. So until then, this is Brian saying take care. Thank you.